Our sermon text for today is from Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given to him that he should repay? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The worship of the one true God through his son Jesus Christ is the goal of every man. God cares that he is worshipped, but not only does he care that he is worshipped, God cares about how he is worshipped. At the heart of the Protestant Reformation, there was a return to a proper worship of God, both corporately and individually. Lutheran musician Johann Sebastian Bach exemplified this through his entire life. Born in the late 1600s to a Lutheran family that had fled Hungary after being persecuted for their Protestant faith, Bach would eventually become arguably the most influential musician in the history of Western music. Because of his Protestant faith, Bach often began his music compositions by penning the initials J.J., which stands for Yesu Juve, Latin for Jesus' help, on top of his music score. At the end of his compositions, he would add the, initial, the initials SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, Latin for to the glory of God alone. These are prayers, and these prayers show us the right trajectory of Christian worship. We call on the Lord for help. He helps. And we praise Him. Throughout the month of October, we're taking some time to think about this movement called the Protestant Reformation. As we have been reminded week after week, one of the most central words in the Protestant Reformation is the word sola. Sola means only or alone. The Catholic Church was happy to affirm the authority of Scripture, the necessity of grace, the importance of faith, the centrality of Christ, and the glory of God. But the Reformers fought and died to add to these the word alone. Today we consider the fifth of the solace of the Reformation. Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. The five solas of the Reformation, the five pillar doctrines the Reformers affirmed. And here's why this is so important. We, too, affirm them. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. And Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Alone, as Protestants, we affirm that Scripture alone teaches us that by grace alone, 
Through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are saved. And all this amounts to the glory of God alone. For our text today, we turn to Romans 11 as we consider God's glory. The transition of Romans 11 into Romans 12 is a hinge point. The Apostle Paul goes from a theological section to an applied section of the letter. As you read this passage, it feels like the book could end right here. In Romans 1 through 11, Paul reminds his reader, his audience of the gospel, of righteousness. The righteousness were offered by faith of our justification in Christ of the powerful working of the Spirit in the life of the believer, of the, God's purpose in election, of His merciful gospel and His faithfulness to His promises to ethnic Israel. And our verses for today are the culmination of all these things. Our vo- verse for today is the culmination of what is perhaps the greatest theological treaty ever written and what is Paul's response to 11 chapters of the deepest theology known to men worship the only proper response to theology is doxology the only proper response to theology is the worship of the one through God What we know about God must inform how we feel about God. Theology that does not lead to worship isn't very different from a car without an engine or work of art that is kept in darkness. Theology that is proper in mind and in heart necessarily leads to worship. Since the Protestant Reformation was a return to proper theology, the goal of the Protestant Reformation was the proper doxology, the proper worship of God. As we look at our text today, we'll be reminded of three things. We're going to be reminded that God is wise, that God is rich. And that God is supreme. And these are the reasons why we ought to worship God alone. So first let us consider wisdom. God's God's wisdom. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He puts two words here together that ought to go together but don't always go together in our human experience wisdom and knowledge knowledge is simply information gained wisdom is the right application of that information you may have heard it said 
that knowledge is knowing the tomato is a fruit. Wisdom, however, is knowing that it does not go in fruit salad. We live in a world that fails in both knowledge and wisdom. Anyone with a Twitter handle can potentially become a specialist in any given subject. We hear today of influencers who gain massive amounts of followers for simply reacting to viral videos. Celebrities, athletes have become the loudest voices in our society when it comes to morality. And often, not godly morality. On the other hand, our world also tends to believe that the simple letters PhD added to someone's name automatically make them a wise counsel. Academic education is immediately accurated with wisdom. Today, textbooks have replaced the Bible, and the scientist is the new priest. And yet, in the ivory towers of academia, the intelligentsia is often troubled by simple statements like, men are not women, and women are not men. But friends, this is not true of God. God alone possesses infinite depth in wisdom and knowledge. And he holds them both simultaneously. God does not only know all there is to know. He knows how to apply this knowledge perfectly in every situation and in every circumstance. We so often fail in this area, don't we? How often do we go over conversations we had that didn't go well in our minds, wishing that they had gone differently? How often do we second-guess our decisions? How often do we act out of ignorance and unwisely? But friends, God is not like us. And this is at the heart of Christian worship. This is why we worship God. We worship God because He's utterly distinct from us. If God was like us, we wouldn't need to worship Him because He would simply be like us. But His distinctiveness, His uniqueness, makes him worthy of worship. How? Well, he is holy, and we're not. He is just, and we're not. He is wise, and we're not. God is not like us, and that is why we worship no man but God. He far surpasses us in every aspect of his character. Paul says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Answer, 
No one. Only the Spirit of God, who is God Himself, knows the mind of God. Or who has been His counselor? Who has the Lord ever gone to to say, what should I do here? No one has ever given counsel to God. God needs no counselor because he's never wrong in thought or in deed. Do you sometimes think, if I were God, I would do this differently? Or that differently. If I were God, I wouldn't have allowed this to happen to me. If I were God, I wouldn't have put the serpent in the garden. If I were God, I wouldn't have given men autonomy. If I were God, I wouldn't let my loved ones suffer. If I were God, I would have made myself this way. Or I would have made myself that way. If I were God, I wouldn't put these desires in my heart. We all think this way, don't we? We think we can counsel God. We think in some ways God's got it wrong. We think in some ways we would get it right. But we say this because we think we know better but god knows the end from the beginning first corinthians 1 25 for the foolishness of god is wiser than men and the weakness of god is stronger than men of course it's a figure of speech god is in no way a fool but even if we were to consider what hypothetically is the folly of god that would be wiser than the wisest men. At times his wisdom is hard to understand, but that's because we are limited. Not because he's not wise. God's wisdom goes beyond our comprehension. But that's good. Why? Because it takes faith to worship a God who transcends us and transcends our understanding. And friends, it is by faith that we worship God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So God calls us to look to Him and say, I don't understand you. I don't understand all that you do. I could never understand your reasoning. But I trust you. And that's worship. Well, not only do we worship God because His wisdom transcends us, we worship God because He shares His wisdom with us. God's full depth of wisdom is unknowable, but His wisdom is not completely unknowable. Think of it this way. We might never get to see the depths of the ocean, but we can experience some of the ocean. There are parts of the ocean that we can experience and understand and know. That's how God is. And to the depth that we can understand God, God calls us to understand Him. God's full depth of wisdom is unknowable, but God is knowable. And we can know God and we can gain wisdom from Him. How? 
in Christ. Paul says to the Colossians, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All that is hidden in God is hidden in Christ. Do you want to know God? Know Christ. Do you want to gain the wisdom of God? Gain Christ. Do you want to walk with the wisdom that God only has? Of course, in our human limitations, know Christ. Christ instructs us in His wisdom through His Spirit. He's able to turn fools, selfish, idolatrous men into worshippers of the one true God. And friends, it is impossible to worship God. The triune God we just sang about, the God creator of the universe, all good, all knowing, all powerful. It is impossible to worship him apart from his son. Well, let's consider now the riches of God. Verse 35, Paul says, Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Here's what Paul wants us to understand. God owns everything. Everything is his. The earth and the fullness thereof, the cattle on a thousand hills, the universe depends on him for its existence and its sustainability. The roof over your head belongs to God. The car you drive belongs to God. The money in your bank account belongs to God. The clothes you're wearing belongs to God. The air you breathe belongs to Him. And understanding this is paramount for Christian worship. If you are ever in St. Louis, Missouri, and you drive into St. Louis University, you'll see a statue by artist Bobby Carlyle called Self-Made Man. It's a beautiful work of art made out of bronze. In it, you see a half-finished man with a mallet in hand carving himself out of a block of wood. The statue encompasses so much of what has historically been the American mentality. We are the nation of the David Booms and the Andrew Jacksons. We work ourselves out of our own wood blocks. We make ourselves. We have freedom. We take charge of our lives. And there is an aspect of this that is true. Individual responsibility, personal responsibility, is a biblical concept, a biblical principle. But when we think of accomplishing these things apart from the faith that God grants, apart from the grace that God gives, we, when we think of commanding our lives apart from the gospel, we breed pride. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, What do you have that you did not receive? Answer, nothing. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Boasting or pride is native to the heart of fallen men. Have you noticed that the Bible never tells us to think highly of ourselves? No, we naturally do that in many different ways, in many different expressions. Be it pride or self-pity, 
It is all about me. We do that naturally. When it comes to pride, the question is never, do we have it? The question is, how much of it do we have? And how does it manifest itself? Friends, as Christians, we must think much of what God can accomplish and nothing of what we can accomplish apart from Him. John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Why? For apart from me you can do nothing. Do you realize how all-encompassing this statement is? There is nothing we can do that is worthy of fruits, to be called spiritual fruits that is done apart from Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.10 By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. The solution for pride is not denying the good that is done. Solution for pride is recognizing that the source of good is God and praising Him. When we're strong, it is because of Him. When we do things that are right, when we obey, it is because of of Him. Anything good that we bring to the table is not born of us, it is born of God. When we understand, when we truly believe this, we're then able to kill our pride and turn it into praise. This is the essence of true worship. Friends, this is also the essence of true Christian community. Because God is exalted when we live with one another in love, in an understanding way, and in humility. This is why when someone among us is struggling in, the area, in an area of life that we are not, our response should not be, they need to be more like us. Our response should be, they need the grace of God just as I need the grace of God. So if you're doing well in your finances and your brother sitting next to you is struggling, it is not because you are better than your brother. It is because of the grace of God. And you both need it. If parenting seems to be working well for you more than the family ne next to you, it is not you. It is the grace of God. And if it's truly the grace of God, you will promote humility in your hearts and not pride. If your marriage is strong, but your brother's marriage is broken, it is not you. It is the grace of God. Do not boast. Be humble. If God has not, had not given you grace, every aspect of your life would be in shambles. Complete devastation but if you've experienced the goodness of god it is because of his grace christian worship christian worship begins 
when we realize that we have nothing in our hands to offer God except the grace He grants. Friends, if the Lord withheld His grace from us, all that would be left in us would be sin. We believe that our worship of God rests on our riches often, our gifts to Him rather than on His riches and His invaluable worth. Are we often tempted to think that by serving God, we're doing God a favor? The quotation here in Romans 11, 35, comes from the Old Testament book of Job, 41, of Job uh, chapter 41, verse 11. God is explaining to Job the wonders of this creature he made called Leviathan. Leviathan is depicted as a monstrous alligator. No one can tame Leviathan. And if Leviathan is so powerful, how much more powerful is the God who created Leviathan? So if we can't tame the beasts God created, why do we think we can tame God with our riches? Why do we think we can bargain with God? Why do we think we can tame God Himself with our giving, with our spirituality, with our discipline, even with our ability to die to sin? Sometimes, friends, God must reveal to us our weakness so that we can realize His strength. Sometimes God must strip us from all our confidence so we can begin to understand that worship is not about us, but about God. We see this in Job's experience even earlier on. After he loses all his possessions and he loses all his children, in an unbelievable sequence of events, what does he do? Job 1.20 then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Christian worship, the Christian worship of God is not based on their circumstances. We worship God because He is God. When we are stripped of all our strength, our possessions, all things we could boast on, the truth of our hearts is revealed and often God teaches us to depend on him alone by stripping us of our most treasured possessions or by withholding from us that which we think we most need Indian I desire children for over a decade until the Lord gave us Boaz and Elise they are a gift to us in our most treasured earthly possession. One time after Boaz was born, we're having lunch with an unbelieving friend, and she said, it's been amazing to see God's faithfulness to you. After so many years, he gave you the son you wanted. Immediately, Indy and I responded, no. You're, missing, you're misunderstanding God's faithfulness his faithfulness to us was not demonstrating in the giving of a son or a daughter 
We love them and cherish them, would give our lives for them. But what God has taught us through these years of infertility surpasses the joy of having children. What we've learned to say, repeated to ourselves constantly, taught our hearts to sing, is that Jesus is enough. If none of my prayers are ever answered, but I have Jesus, that is enough. If I lose all things I hold dear in this life, if God takes away my family, my children, everything, He leaves me with Jesus alone, that's enough. If God strips me of all my confidence, my health, my life, but I still have Jesus, God is still enough. And Jesus will always be enough. Why? Because Jesus is God's greatest treasure, His riches, and He has given Him to me. Brothers and sisters, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must every day die to the things of this world and embrace Christ as our greatest and only treasure. God will teach our hearts to believe this daily. Nothing that we have in this life aside from Christ is necessary. And true worship matures as we progressively learn to look at that which is seeing and reject it and trust in that which is unseeing the faith we have in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, anything you would say, I can't live without, fill in the blank, that is not Christ, is idolatry. And the Lord will, leave, will, leave, will not leave you until every idol, idol in your heart is shattered. Is there a relationship you value more than Christ? Do you value your family more than Christ? Do you value money more than Christ? Do you love comfort more than Christ? Fame, acceptance, your own life. We must not only say that we need Jesus, we must say that we need Jesus alone. He is enough. He is everything for us. Besides Him, we need nothing else. Friend, you may be among us today wondering, why we make such a big deal about Jesus. If you're not a believer among us, what I'm saying probably doesn't make any sense to you. But let me tell you why we here at Central Baptist Church believe Jesus supersedes everything the world has to offer. Jesus is God. And as God, He is beyond our reach as God, He is perfectly holy, set apart from us, because we are not holy. We're sinners. And a perfectly holy God, as Jesus is, should punish sinners with His perfect judgment. And the perfect judgment of God is eternity in hell. We deserve it. We've earned it. But Jesus, being God also became man. He experienced what we've experienced, and in a world full of troubles and temptations, he never sinned. And yet he was tried and killed on a cross as a criminal. He died a horrendous death. He died a sinner. 
But why should a sinless per person die the death of a sinner? The Bible says that he did that to take on himself our sins. It is not his sins that, we that he bore on the cross. It is mine. And it could be yours if you trust in him. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus took the death you and I deserved. The death that should condemn us to an eternal punishment under the wrath of the one holy God. He died in our place. He died for us. On the cross, the penalty of sin was paid. As he rose on the third day, we know his sacrifice was vindicated, accepted by the Father. And today Jesus lives. And as he lives, he calls us all to believe in him. He calls us all to place our undivided allegiance in him. And friends, this is the unbelievable message of the gospel. If you believe in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. God's riches will be yours. And then it will make sense. And then what I'm saying will make sense. Because you will see the surpassing worth of Christ and you say everything else is rubbish. If you believe Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. God's riches will be yours. The richest possession of heaven will belong to you, Jesus Christ himself. Friend, you have no hope in this life to be made right with God aside from this message. You have no hope in this life to be made right with God aside from believing in Jesus Christ. If you receive him, he will save you. And if he saves you, you will learn to love him over all other things life has to offer. Our hope and our prayer is that you would receive this message today. Finally, let us, let us consider the supremacy of God. If there were fireworks in the Bible, they would be right here. Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and to him are all things to God be the glory forever. Amen. What do these words mean? All things were created by God from him and through him. All things were created for God to him. His glory. Because God created all things, all things owe him worship. The song will sing at the end of times when we all come before the throne of God and of the Lamb affirms this very thing. Revelation 4 11, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God, the creator, is supreme over his creation. He created us with a purpose. Have you ever wondered why you're here? Have you ever wondered why you're on this planet? Are you wondering why you came to this place Today, have you ever wondered about the goal, direction, the purpose of your life? Let me tell you what the purpose of your life is. The purpose of your life is to worship your Creator. 
And since there is only one creator of the universe, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is only one who deserves all glory. To God alone be the glory, solely Deo Gloria. Paul ends this passage with the words, To him be the glory forever. Amen. Friends, the trajectory of every human life leads to a perennial worship of the one true God. So how, do, how should you prepare for eternity? You do today. Today is the day that you prepare for eternity. Your worship of God today will anticipate eternity in God's presence with His people. So before we finish today, let me give you two words of advice on how to worship God in preparation for eternity. First, worship God with your entire life. Worship is not the music portion of the service that happens before the sermon. Worship happens every day. Worship happens all day. The Christian life is not something you go to once a week and then you can put a check on your good work checklist. No, friend, God is not satisfied with a portion of your lives. He wants you when you're at church. He wants you when you're at work. He wants you when you are at home. He wants you when you are with your friends. He doesn't want 10% of your checkbook and one day of your week. He wants it all. He wants your possessions, your calendar, your strength, your mind. He wants your heart. He wants it all. And unless you give all to him, you will have nothing from him. But also, worship God with his people. God has appointed his people, that his people should worship him, not only individually, but also corporately. At the heart of the Reformation, there was a return to a proper corporate worship of God. The Catholic Church had turned the Mass in a repeated observance of Jesus' sacrifice. Every time the Mass is observed, Jesus is sacrificed anew, even though we are told in the Bible that His sacrifice was presented once and for all. Along with this, the elements of the sacramental system took centerpiece in the Church, but the Reformers understood that at the center of every Christian service is the Word of God. Soli Deo Gloria meets Sola Scriptura. The lectern that was once moved to the side in the Protestant church has become pulpit, and now it stands at the center. As we say, the Word of God is central. And now... Our entire corporate service is based not on sacraments, not on rituals, but on the proclamation of the word of Christ. Not only do we preach it, we sing it. Not only do we sing it, we pray it. Not only do we pray it, we read it. Not only do we read it, we observe it in baptism in the Lord's Supper. 
The word of God proclaims the grace of God which forms a people who by faith are redeemed in Christ for the glory of God. God cares that he is worshipped, but he also cares about how he is worshipped. And God tells us how he ought to be worshipped in his very word. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Solus Christus, Soli Deo Gloria. We, as a people, have reclaimed these things, these wonderful truths that were there from the beginning. 500 years ago, we reclaimed them. And we'll proclaim them until our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Would you pray with me? Father, we desire to live for your glory, but so often, Lord, so often we reject your glory. Lord, we desire to live our entire lives, individually and corporately. But Lord, it takes God to worship God. So we pray that our wandering hearts would be tuned to sing thy praises. Lord, we pray that we as individuals would know that Christ is enough. And as a church, we would know that the goal of our existence is the worship of him and him alone. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.